whoever's listening, however you are listening, I want to welcome you back. My name is Grayson Man, and this is the Man with a Plan podcast, episode 25. Episode 25. That is an insane number of quarter, four quarters to get 100. We've got one down, three to go, but so much more in the future. I am so excited for what's to come. This is a celebration of how far we've come as a podcast. If you go back to episode one, you will probably hear the the muffle in the background, the ee, just the awful, awful backdrop noise. Me super nervous, not as confident. Today, I'm just wanted to hear. I just want to be here to thank you guys. So much has happened. So much has progressed over the last six months. To think we started April twenty first, two thousand twenty one. I think was the launch of the first episode, which is crazy because that's today. Wait, hold on, let me check that. Yeah, that is today. <laughs> that's actually honestly insane. They're in quarantine, or I thought it'd be a fun idea to make a podcast, and I ended up dropping it because I was not very confident in it. I didn't think the first episode was very reflective of what I could do. It's more of a news segment than what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. My expectations versus my reality meme kind of was a slap to the face there, so I kind of just stopped. And then around November, I came back for two months, and I was like, all right, what am I going to do for two months? It's going to keep me busy so I can not be so sad about missing out. College was super fun. All my great friends. Shout out to the group. You guys know who you are. You guys are fantastic. Also about to get thanked in a little bit. But 25 episodes down, so much has happened. I've grown so much as a person, as a podcaster, my craft. Originally, I just wanted to do this to build my resume so I could do something for Clemson. Maybe they'll see and recognize it. But now it's just something I do for fun. It's something I have... Basically, as a hobby, doing what I love, talking about sports, putting out an outlet for you guys to listen to, and you guys seem to have really liked it so far, and wherever it takes us is wherever it takes us. I just want to start by thinking off a few people, my parents being super supportive, 25 episodes down, probably just the overwhelming support that you guys continue to give, my mom texting me, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, all the helpful advice, my dad talking to me about sports, just keeping me involved, keeping me invested. I want to thank all the interviews that we've had. I want to shout out Third Strings Podcast. Go check them out. They're on all the platforms that we are on. They do about the same stuff, but in a little more comedic way. They also do baseball heavily. I strongly advise checking out Tigers Talk Rugby, my first on-guest interview on this podcast. They were fantastic. We talked about the Super Bowl, Kansas City versus Tampa Bay, the wrongs of Kansas City, why Tampa Bay prevailed. It was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed it. Of course, I got to shout out Gene Avery for creating the Gene Avery Superfan of the Week Look for that to come back when I go home for the summer, and we'll do a little update after we give a round of thanks to these people. Bob Murrow, actually, the fantastic Bob Murrow. He was such a fantastic interview, such a great guy. Took a while. It's about a, it's a pretty long interview, but it was a great, great process. I really enjoyed what he had to say, what he had to say about Iowa football, his experiences, what it really meant to be a Iowa superfan. Shout out to him. I want to shout out Lynn Vietri being the absolute number one supporter of this podcast, always coming in the clutch with my support, great ideas. She's actually going to be featured in one of these questions. So, Miss Vietri, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for all you've done. I can't wait to make better content so you and so many others can enjoy it. And finally, I want to talk about Andrew Street. If you haven't checked out our latest episode, 24, we t- me and Andrew talk about so many things, the Masters, March Madness, college basketball as a whole, college football. He's a big Georgia guy. A lot of great stuff. He was a great interview, funny guy. Maybe in the future I'll be able to meet him and give him that gold jacket for winning the tournament. All right. 
I have a little bit of announcement to make. This might be the last podcast that we make here. Currently, next week is the technical move-out week for Clemson, April 29th. I know it's the first day of the draft, too, which kind of stinks, so we'll have to figure that out. I don't know if I'm going to do a draft episode next week. That would be the main focus, obviously, with it being so close. I might try to cram it in, but I have finals next week, so I don't know how it's going to work. Maybe we'll have an episode coming in the future post-draft when I get back moved in home. We'll see. I'll keep you guys updated on the Instagram. That is the the MWP underscore. Once again, that is the MWP underscore. Go ahead and consider giving a follow. And you'll see more things, updates in the future. Speaking of things to follow, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Consider giving those a follow, subscribe, or subscribe on YouTube. Over half of my listeners on YouTube are not subscribed. Imagine the damage we could do if half of those people would subscribe. It's not that hard. Click that red button if you like what you hear, and leave a comment below. Tell me what you want to see next. It's going to be a fantastic summer packed. I'm not going to be busy. I'm going to be busy with this podcast. We're going to make a lot of great episodes, a lot of great interviews, stuff that I have lined up, ready to go. You guys are in for a treat for the next three months. All right, so this is how this episode is going to go. Enough of the the sappy, the thanks, and all the stuff. You guys are here for the sports, the content. All right, so I have 12 questions. They're in a range from March Madness, college football, NFL draft questions. You guys are really going to enjoy this. We're going to start with the March Madness questions. My first one comes from my guy, Hunter Haynes. He tells me, tell me about Johnny Juzang. He was just like, my Johnny Juzang's my guy. I just want to hear you talk about him. So, Hunter, if you're listening, shout out to you, bro. I'm talking about him. Johnny Juzang led the UCLA Bruins to a Final Four appearance. And really, for me, Johnny Juzang was a guy that was always able to create shots for himself in this tournament, especially with UCLA not being the team that people were really looking for to make this sudden splash. I know my friend Ben Brown, who's actually going to be featured in this, had Michigan State as his like Final Four team because he picked them previously to the matchup. And then ironically, I think, ended up helping him out. Ben, if you're listening to this, tell me, just shoot me a text if that actually ended up happening because that's actually insane because they went pretty far. You probably won your bracket, to be honest with you. And I think that Johnny Juzang, obviously, going to be in the NBA. He's going to be an NBA draft prospect. Got a lot of shine this year because he was the guy that was... Everybody was really depending on, if I haven't mentioned before, average 23 points per game in the NCAA tournament. On the biggest stage, your guy, Johnny Juzang, came in through pretty much the clutch every single time. Unfortunately, their run was stopped by Gonzaga with the insane shot by Jalen Suggs, but Johnny Juzang still a valuable NBA player in the future. I cannot wait to see which team picks him up. All right, we're now going to go to Josh Harris. Josh, shout out to you, bro. You've been a pretty good friend. And we've talked about sports for a lot, actually, this freshman year. Your question is, what went wrong with Gonzaga in the tournament? And I have a pretty simple answer for you. They ran into the roadblock that was UCLA. Gonzaga pretty much steamrolled every single opponent that came across their way, whether it was the season or the actual postseason. I think that what happened with Gonzaga is they ran into a roadblock in UCLA, and the mental and physical toll that it took to just overcome such a team that really wasn't expected to even be in Gonzaga's way. It was like, if they beat Gonzaga, it's going to be this major upset. We're going to freak out about it for days, for years. So, I think when Gonzaga ran into a team like Baylor, Baylor was swarming them. It was, they played the competition all year. They have these these guards who are crafty. They're smart. They're going to be NBA prospects. They swarmed Gonzaga. They didn't allow them to get any shots up. 
and they didn't want to like hang with them, kind of play to their style, which Gonzaga just runs all over the court, scores a lot of points, and eventually they're just up 25 on you. Baylor said, no, we're going to play this our way. We're going to get in your face. You're going to have to make contested shots. And Gonzaga, unfortunately, was not able to do that. So we're going to have to spend another year wondering, does Gonzaga transfer over to the Pac-12? Do they try to find more worthy competition? It's a little harder to make that criticism because in a COVID year, you really, teams get cancellations. They're actually supposed to play each other in the regular season and the COVID cancellation happens. So maybe things would have been different. They might have gotten pounded in the first game and figured some things out over the film tape, the study, and been like, all right, if we face this team in the championship, we know what to do better. So that is why, Josh, that's what happened with Gonzaga. All right, my next question comes from Myron. Myron is a quarterback at Catawba College. He is an absolute dog. He's a beast on the football field, living out his college football dream. Myron, shout out to you, man. I need to bring you on the podcast over the summer, talk about your experience as a college football quarterback. It was an honor to play with you on the field. Your question was, the Clemson wide receiver room, is it elite? And would you rather take Justin Fields or Mac Jones? So let's talk about the Clemson wide receiver room first. In my opinion, I think Clemson's always had that one guy, T. Higgins, Mike Williams, Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins. Maybe if you could classify Hunter Renfro in there as a guy that could always step up when times were at their worst, when they needed a jump ball, a 50-50 ball, a third and four slant over the middle. Hunter Renfro usually got those. And I think Clemson struggled since T. Higgins was drafted to really find that standout guy, not to discredit what Cornell Powell did. He really stepped up his game. E.J. Williams is starting to become a true truly phenomenal player and I think for Clemson the wide receiver room is only truly elite when they're gonna have guys that can replicate what Hunter did guys that can replicate what DeAndre Hopkins did I think they're a solid group this year and I think it was tough to make that assessment after the spring game but I think that Clemson is on their way back to being that having that guy that you have to like double cover third down you have to look out for I think that whichever receiver steps up is going to lead they need a leader in that wide receiver room that can pave the way for for DJ as they try to mend their offense back from Trevor Lawrence to Travis Etienne, how do they fill those holes? I think that's what Clemson wide receiver room has been trying to do for the last couple of years, and I think they might have found it. So we'll see how the season progresses. They got Georgia right first, so that's a test off the door. And I think that Clemson really is going to benefit from that, win or lose. They'll still be in the playoff race because Georgia is going to have a tough schedule. They're not going to be, it's not going to be like they lost to NC State or a lower ACC team that you're like, oh, that's going to really be a blemish on the playoff record. They could be 10-1 at the end of the regular season with a loss to a, maybe a SEC champion Georgia and still be able to sneak in. So that's going to be a good game not only for the season but for those guys to develop. And your other question was, would I rather take Justin Fields or Mac Jones? This question is interesting to me because I felt like I was flip-flopping the entire season and I really dug into the narrative that Fields was not all that. But let me tell you something. Fields is a straight-up winner. In a year dominated by COVID, in a year where the Big Ten wasn't supposed to play at all, Justin Fields was able to lead his team back to the playoffs. I know you're going to say, oh, but the seven games, the six games, and I was a part of this crowd. I, you can go to the other podcasts. I'm not going to try to be hypocritical and like jump on other positions. I was in this boat. I, thought, I didn't think Justin Fields was as good as advertised. And then you start to remember, this guy threw 41 touchdowns his sophomore campaign when there was no chaos. That He was just off learning the Ohio State system. I think that we really underestimated it within the 2020 season the value of practice. And this is going to come up in other questions, is that the value of practice, I think, is so valuable. Being able to develop a rhythm 
being having to be in that room with your guys, the film room, the study, those sessions, each rep is so important. And I think that when Ohio State had COVID cancellation on COVID cancellation on COVID cancellation, they had to lose some of that rhythm, some of that vibe that they were able to pick up with their team. And when they had that time before the playoff game, you saw it fields through six touchdown passes against Clemson, a team that was favored to be in the national championship against Alabama. And so I think Fields is a master of the field. I think he's very well with the ball. He's very accurate. I think that Mac Jones may be a product of his weapons. If I had to choose a bust out of the top five QBs in this draft, I would be very confident taking Mac Jones, especially if he's taken in the top five. That is something that really worries me. If you're San Francisco and you're sitting there thinking Mac Jones is your guy, you're going to have a repeat of this Jimmy Garoppolo average. You're going to be really searching for answers three to four years later. Because he's not a guy that can elevate your team. Fields was able to put the team on his back. When I thought that James Skalski, like broke his hip or something, he was able to fight through the pain and throw six passing touchdowns on the world's biggest stage in college football. So that's my answer to that question. And he is involved in my next question from my guy, Justin. I'm involved in a Pats group chat, and it's just honestly great. Pats Nation is a fantastic place to be. Justin asks, Fields to the Pats. And he just wants to know, how do I feel and the possibility of that? And I think you have to look at how aggressive Bill Belichick has been this offseason. He has been going after tight end, going after tight end Johnu Smith, going after tight end Hunter Henry. He's making moves in the wide receiver room. And all these signings, Jalen Mills, Davon Gusho, it's like, how do we interpret that into a draft process? And he said in the interview, we've really reevaluated all this. They understand that they haven't been as stellar in drafting in the last couple years, and it's come back to bite them in a major way. So they had to make some adjustments in free agency, and now they've re-signed Cam Newton to a one-year deal. It's not a prove-it deal or anything. It's just kind of a security blanket in my mind. They're not giving Cam Newton anything. They're not like saying, if you do well again this year, you might have a three-year contract coming up. I think that they signed Cam Newton for a very specific reason. I think it's because he's going to be a key mentor in the style that Justin Fields or Trey Lance plays. My prediction is that Belichick is going to get uber aggressive. He's going to trade up to maybe eight, seven. If Fields ends up taking, let's say this, if Mac Jones ends up going third to the 49ers, I think Belichick will absolutely trade down, trade up in the draft. I, the, the number system is so confusing. Trade up, trade down. He will trade to get Justin Fields in this draft, whether it's trading to Atlanta, trading to Carolina, Denver. He's going to try to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields because they match that style of Cam Newton. Cam Newton's done a lot of growing up in this league. He can teach you how to be a pro. He can teach you how to be accountable. He's had a couple of mistakes, and he has a similar play style to those guys. They're bigger people. They throw the ball well, but their run game is important too. They take a lot of hits. Cam will be able to teach them how to be a pro, and I think that's more important than we realize. All right, this is the last question. Before we take a short break, it comes from my guy, Ben Brown. Ben, congratulations on your scholarship to USC. U of SC is so, so lucky to have you. I'm so happy for you, man, that you're only going to be a couple hours away. You better come visit us in Clemson. Ben asks me, what is the possibility of the first three picks being QBs, and then what is Denver going to do? I think that first answer to your question is in a 100% yes, because we know that one and two are going to be Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. A lot of stuff has come out. Obviously, with number one, we've been able to map that for years, that Trevor Lawrence will be number one. Zach Wilson's a guy that's kind of come out of nowhere and is kind of that Mitchell Trubisky feeling to me is that team just like all of a sudden fell in love with him. We're kind of like, what? But we understand kind of why. So I think that the Jets are probably more than likely going to take Zach Wilson. And then 
when San Francisco made this big trade to get up to three, we assumed it would be for QB, and it's been a like, well, it's been a roller coaster of rumors of Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, all of this stuff. Like you don't trade up this much and try to shuffle up the draft in this big of an order when you went seven, six and ten. Not enough to get a QB, but if you trade it down and had some assets. Kyle Shanahan's going to try to find a QB to fit in the system. Jimmy Garoppolo is on his way out. We know this. So I think that the possibility is very, very high that we get a 1-2-3 QB kind of thing. And it's very, whoa, it's a lot of mind-blowing. If I had to make a prediction right now, it would probably be Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and unfortunately, Mac Jones. That's going to be a pick that might make me laugh out loud. Not because Mac Jones is terrible by any means, but I don't think he's worth number three. If it had been Trey Lance or Justin Fields, I probably would see it and be like, all right, cool. But... Mac Jones at three, ooh, that's scary. Especially, I know the Tua thing, you're kind of like, okay, Tua, that was a little early to make that kind of a call, but I think Tua, may, it may, he was touted as this generational talent, and Mac Jones is no, no guy, he doesn't have an it factor to him. All these QB, Trevor Lawrence, he's just generational prospect. Zach Wilson, he's the best athlete. Maybe Trey Lance, the best runner. Justin Fields, the most accurate. You can discuss in the comments on those stereotypes of those QBs, the attributes, whether you agree with that or not, have discussion. Drop a comment below if you're watching on YouTube or DM us on the Man With Plan Instagram and tell us what you think is going to happen with those QBs. And your Denver question. I have been debating this for a while. I actually did a bonk draft on the way home with my brother Mac, and I got to pick the Denver one. And I was thinking, all right, I'm going to say that Denver takes a chance on Drew Locke. I think they, they say, all right, we face the injury bug like no other team last year. Cortland Sutton. Von Miller, both go out, basically are leaders on both sides of the ball, and Drew Locke's development suffered because of it. Now let's bolster up his offensive line. Let's get Rashawn Slater, the guy from Northwestern. I think he's a beast, Big Ten lineman. I think that in the trenches, he's going to be a great fit for Denver to be able to protect Drew Locke if that's the route they choose. They can also draft a QB in the second round, maybe the David Mills guy from Stanford who started to pop up out of nowhere, had a great pro day. A lot of scouts are really starting to love him. So that's what I think Denver will do. I think they'll go safe this draft, and then in the later rounds, they'll start to make a lot of noise. Let's say that. All right, when we return, we're going to finish up the rest of these questions. As always, guys, thank you so much for the support. This is a celebration, and it's all about you guys who made it possible. Episode 25 of the Man With Plan podcast will be right back. This is the Man With A Plan podcast, episode 25, a celebration and a thank you for everything you guys have done for me in this podcast. Let's get right back into the questions for my guy, Josh Basil. What is your evaluation of the Clemson spring game? And this is a question that I kind of have a tough one answering because for me, it's just a scrimmage. It's a glorified practice in my mind. And it's just fun to go out in the big event, see everybody again, see all the players, how they've developed. I tell you, a couple of those defense alignment look a lot bigger than they did before. Now, I think for evaluating the talent in the overall competition, the quarterback can't get sacked. They were kind of playing friendly against each other. There's no big hits. or I mean, there was one big hit, and I was like, oh, oh my goodness. But the other one, it's just kind of tough to evaluate like where we're going to be as a team because obviously you have the summer camp. A lot of transfers are going to come in. A lot's going to change. A big standout for me was DJ, of course. He's going to be fine. He was throwing ball bullets and darts. Unfortunately, our backup Tyson Fumichan towards Achilles he had a great spring day. Our QB room is a little thin, so I don't know how that's going to prog progress as the season continues. 
but I think our wide receiver alone looked a little solid. Nagata, obviously we don't know what the situation is with Justin Ross. I'm praying that he comes back because he will be a threat if he comes back and he's cleared to play. Woo! rest of the league has got to watch out for Justin Ross. He could catapult himself into an NFL draft stock, being one of the top receivers if he's healthy. Again, his production his freshman year speaks for that alone. It's just that nasty injury is a scare for most. So that's really my evaluation on the spring game for you. I got really nothing much than other we'll see till the summer how it progresses. Maybe I can give you more answers as the season continues and like, oh, this was a player to watch for. This was a guy that kind of stepped up when we needed him the most. So that's Pretty much my answer is we'll see. All right, this next question goes to my other high school quarterback, Ethan Hirsch. <laughs> Ethan Hirsch is a clown. He's my guy. All right, his question is, how does T-Law transition, and he's the best QB? Or, or how does he transition? Who's the best QB besides Trevor Lawrence? I think Trevor Lawrence is in a perfect spot. Jacksonville is absolutely the perfect place. There's not a lot of pressure for him to change anything because Jacksonville's kind of been this small-ish franchise for a long time. Urban Meyer's going to come in. They're going to be in this together both first years. They're going to have a dynamic duo. It really, Jacksonville's got a lot of good weapons. James Robinson, they really developed well last year. They had a lot of good games that they just ended up losing. And I think they just needed the right QB to put it all together. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to transition fine in the NFL. It's just, it was always a matter of placement. If he was going to New York, I was going to be a little worried. But with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think it's perfect place. It's Florida. It's going to be relaxing. It's going to be a nice place to be around. Disney World's only a couple hours away. Universal, if you're into the more roller coaster scene, I think it'll be great. I think the most important thing is he got the right coach and he got the right location. And then the best non QB beside the best QB besides Trevor Lawrence, the generational prospect. My answer is going to be Justin Fields. Now until he gets drafted, I think Fields is a special talent and he was vastly overlooked, including people like me. I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. I know no one can see it, but I'm raising my hand, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. I was wrong. Justin Fields is pretty darn good. So there you go first. There is your question answered. This next one comes from my guy, Cannon McConnell, childhood friend. Thoughts on Kyle Trask? And he accidentally typed Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask, so the memes are kind of like piling over. I was like, oh, dude, that's funny. But I think Kyle Trask is kind of this dark horse prospect. I think that... If he's drafted to the right situation, he's able to learn for a couple of years. His arm talent doesn't blow me away, but I think he was pretty accurate. He's able to stand in the pocket and deliver balls where they needed to be. He was pretty good in games like Alabama, Georgia, the games that mattered. And so there was a lot to like, but I think that he's just overshadowed by the overall attention that these other teams are getting. He was a Heisman finalist, people forget. He threw over 40 touchdowns. He didn't have the best Cotton Bowl, but a lot of his guys kind of dipped out and opted out of the bowl games, which is something I'm not really a fan of. I think that's something needs to be changed there. So I think if Trask gets a fair shot with the right team, maybe a team like the Saints, I think a team like, ah, maybe even San Francisco if they don't go the quarterback route. New England is always an interesting prospect. Indianapolis is a backup, maybe. There's just a lot of teams that I have to think about. Kyle Trask, it'd be a very, he'd be a very, very good backup. Maybe like a Case Keenum type guy who just kind of steps up when he needs to answers the call he's just your journeyman backup QB that's where I think Kyle Trask will be in his NFL career so he's kind of a question mark for me there's a lot that was loved and then a lot that was really just hated on him for no reason and I think part of that was just that we ganged up on Florida the whole Dan Mullen thing it was like oh Florida Kyle Trask they kind of shoved him aside for better talents Mac Jones obviously took over the spotlight there it was just ooh. 
I think Kyle Trask will get a fair shot cannon. This next question comes from Joey. What are the Pats' later round goals? And I was like, oh, this is actually a pretty interesting question because usually you're like, what does New England do in the first round? I think this really depends, Joey, on what New England does with their first round pick. Because if they get a QB, I think they're going to start to build around the defense. They're going to try to upgrade the front seven. I think New England's biggest problem last year was their run game and their tackling. And whether you attribute that to not being able to have contact practice, I think they need an extra linebacker, an extra defensive lineman in that later round, that stud that they're usually able to find like they had Michael Owenu in the sixth round. I think you need to find that on the defensive side, in that front seven that can get up there, stop the run, plug up the holes that are needed. I think that New England was really, the run game wasn't as good to be desired. Usually it's pretty good. It's usually able to stop. They're able very gap heavy. It's very assignment heavy. They need a guy, maybe they draft Micah Parsons in the first round and they just fill that need with a superstar defensive man. That would be a fantastic pick in my mind. Even if we don't go QB, I think Micah Parsons would be pretty sick. But later round, it just depends on what the inverse is. If they go QB, they'll go defense. If they go defense, they're going to go straight heavy offense. I think they're going to try to upgrade the receivers, get some guys, get some gems. All right, let's move on to this question from Grant. I got to get on my Instagram and find it. So while we're waiting, I want to go on my brother's question, Mac. Mac asks, Grayson, what are the Falcons going to do with that fourth pick? McGregor, 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 the newly anointed Falcons fan, wants to know what they're going to do with that pick. So I say, Atlanta can do one of two things, McGregor. I think they could go load up on the offense and just go ballistic. Insane. They have like a 40 points per game offense and give up 42. But I think what they need to do is trade down. I think they need to find good value in a defensive player. I think they do wonders for not going for the shiny new target in Kyle Pitts. And I think they need to be safe. They need to find a trade partner. I'm making massive hints here. They need to find a trade partner. And they need to find a team they can get a good value and have a good defensive player like a Caleb Farley or Micah Parsons. Maybe that Ruseo guy from Miami. It's Ruseo, Ruseo, you guys can correct me in the comments. All right, let's get to Grant's question. He's got one for me. He says, realistically, what do you see our struggles with Clemson this year? He's going to give us his. I think we're going to struggle to put the ball between the tackles, and I think there might be an issue with the multiple running backs. All right. Grant, I think I completely agree with you. That was last year's issue. And I think that being able to run between the tackles, Travis Etienne usually in games was able to burst off and have this big hole. So I think that we kind of let it slide. But in that Ohio State game, it hurt so bad. We weren't able to plug up the holes. Ohio State was able to get to Trevor Lawrence, get in his face. I think that you really, this theme of practice is going to come up again. Those reps, they're so important. Being able to build that rhythm. That goes for the offensive line as well. Being able to build that rhythm. And I think that a whole spring, a whole summer, where we have no interruptions, no cancellations, the offensive line is really going to develop. From studying that tape from last year, being able to get those reps against a really talented defensive line that Clemson has. And really get in the trenches, get a really solid summer practice in. So we're able to learn and develop. Because I think Clemson is going to be a lot better on the offensive line than we were last year. I think our biggest weakness this year is going to be corner. Who's going to be that step up and be the new CB2? Obviously, the issue with Darion Kendrick happened. He was dismissed from the team. Andrew Booth's going to be a fantastic corner one. But who's going to be corner two? Who's going to help us in that secondary? Who's going to step up and make sure that Clemson's not going to get torched like we did last year against Ohio State? That is a, certainly a problem that creeped up on us. I think a lot of things Clemson's got to look out for is something that if they see something in early in the year, 
They can't let it slide against a team that you eventually end up blowing out 42-10. to I think the Syracuse game was a great example of that, the Boston College game. I think our passing defense was pretty weak last year, and I think we kind of let it creep up on us until a team that was actually pretty good, and at that point it was too late. We couldn't win a shootout without our offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott. So Grant, my answer to you is, yeah, I think that our secondary is our weakest part of our team. All right, this final question. Again, thank you guys who submitted your questions. I'm going to try my best to leave timestamps below, at least like where your question starts, and then I'll figure it out from there. This question comes from Lynn Vietri. If you haven't checked out her interview, go ahead and do that. It's fantastic. Her question is, what is your favorite sports experience of all time? And I easily, 100% of the time, go 2016 to 2017, Clemson Tigers, Tampa Bay. 35 to 31, the Hunter Infro catch that put Clemson back on the mountain. That experience was absolutely insane. There's a couple of great stories. I got beer spilled on me. I got called an 11-year-old, even though I was 15. So I had to like kind of cough, clear my throat. So I went voice crack and I was like, I'm 15. Don't call me 11 years old. And I met some great guys. We had a great group all around us. We had no Alabama fans around us, fortunately, which was pretty nice. I was thinking we were going to lose early on. Deshaun Watson came in clutch. It was such a great game. One of the greatest football games I've ever been to. Not to be topped by another sports experience where we went to Boston, Houston Texans, and the Patriots. Ironically, Deshaun Watson, his rookie year, gave Belichick some fits. And Tom Brady was able to come up in the clutch, throw a touchdown to Brandon Cooks. Those are my two favorite sports moments. And then if I had like a top three, it would be Tampa Bay, San Francisco with the other national championship. 44-16, Trevor Lawrence's coming out party, and then the New England game. All right, those were our questions. This was our celebratory episode 25. Here is to more episodes, more success in the future. All thanks to you guys. Guys, there are no words. And as always, I just want to thank you for the support that you continue to pour onto this podcast. It is absolutely insane. This summer is going to be a treat. Three months, I'm going to work so hard for you guys. Continue to make better content, put more stuff out. You're going to have training camps, the draft. There's so much that's going to be able to talk about interviews that are coming up that you won't expect. Thank you so much for the support. Have a fantastic day, fantastic weekend, and as always, take care.